Hey, everybody, welcome back to Gear 30 on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, the founder of Blister, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. So for the past nine or 10 months, we've been working on a special project with Folsom Custom Skis. You've maybe seen a glimpse or two of this project on our Instagram account, and we are finally ready to share more details about this project. So today we are talking with Folsom's Mike McCabe about this new Blister Pro 104. And in addition to diving deep into the backstory and the progression of this Blister Pro 104, we also talk with Mike about Folsom's new shop in Aspen, Mike's insane, perhaps, new plan to build and deliver custom skis in two to three days. Here's to the crazy ones, right, Mike? We also go over a few highlights from the 1920 Folsom lineup, and perhaps most importantly, we ask Mike exactly how much of a nightmare it was to work with us on this Blister Pro 104 project. And so here it is, my conversation with Luke Coppa and Folsom's Mike McCabe about all of the above. Mike McCabe, how you doing today? I'm doing great. I've uh, actually left the shop a little bit early for once to get myself in a nice quiet place so that we could have this conversation. That's not possible at my facility. There's <laughs> a little bit of noise being made in the background. Yeah, between phones ringing, CNC machines buzzing, finish machines buzzing, it's just not going to happen. So yeah, I had a good excuse to get back into my nice air-conditioned home and kick my feet up for a while here. <laughs> well, we're glad we could get you away from the, you know, the, the daily grind. So you're welcome for that. <laughs> I appreciate it, guys. So we've got a couple of different things to be discussing here today. And um, the first thing we'll do is just use this as an opportunity to catch up. Tell us what's going on in the world of Folsom. Uh, so yeah, Folsom has been busy as ever, especially this summer. Um, Production is up 30% over last year at this time. We also are opening opening a pop-up store in Aspen, um, which is going to be about a 500-square-foot space that's going to have some retail offerings, but primarily be focusing on a very fast turnaround custom ski. Huh. So, yeah, ideally we're going to have a two- to three-day turnaround um, through that facility we're we're going to keep all of our manufacturing in the same spot down here in Denver, um, and then have that little pop-up store, uh, really manage that sale. And, uh, it's going to be a little bit of a back and forth, uh, certainly, a, a bit stressed on time, but we're really excited about the opportunity. What brought this about? How did this come to be? So we've had dreams for many years to have this entire Folsom company in the in the Roaring Fork Valley, you know, as close as we can get to to Aspen, but just the logistics aren't there, you know, being able to move all of our manufacturing uh, realistically in a space that's, you know, seven to 10,000 square feet big in that area, it's just not cost effective. Uh, above that, you know, just doing business there, shipping, sourcing materials, you know, the, the list goes on. It's just a logistical improbability. So with some inventive thought uh, and really uh, my, my chief of operations, Max Tabor, has really been spearheading this thing from 
uh, tip to tail. Uh, we've, we found a really cool way to get in there at a pretty low cost. Um, we're, uh, essentially sharing a space with, uh, a facility that is primarily for, for bikes. So it's called the hub and they don't really have much action in the winter. And it made sense for him to kind of subsidize some of the spot or, or space to us. And as the conversation evolved over time, this became more and more interesting to us. And as we kind of started to look at the space and figure out what we wanted to do is when this whole, well, sure, we should have the buy now retail offering up there, but let's stay true to who we are and have a custom offering up there as well. Um, you know, that said, we really had to think hard about who the clientele was going to be. Um, you know, not a lot of people staying there for long periods of time, you know, a lot of vacational, uh, you know, there for a week, there for six days, 10 days, whatever it may be. So when they want a custom ski, they want it now. Uh, so we had to kind of reinvent the wheel on how we can really do this, this quick turnaround time. So yeah, again, it's going to be really interesting to, to see how this whole thing, uh, hands out for us <laughs> so the idea is that you could like fly an aspen on monday and have a fully custom pair of skis by like the end of the week absolutely wow <laughs> even even a little bit sooner than that so you know we're, we're even transportation is the thing that's looking like it's going to slow us down the most so we're looking into courier services that are like same day and not that expensive um it's just overnight you're looking at you know, 12 hours of it kind of sitting in a shipping facility before it gets uh, to its end user. Um, but, you know, the general approach to the shop is is we're really going to set aside X amount of builds per week in anticipation of those sales so that we can, you know, once that sale lands, we can jump and um, start building on that thing right away so we can get it out the door next day, essentially. So, Mike, I have to say... When you talk about pop-up stores and two to three day turnaround times, this makes me think of 333 skis, or <laughs> I think they're maybe now called community skis. And that has um, certain interesting, let's say, connotations that come with it. Care to address my uh, concerns here? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, <clears throat> I can certainly see where you would draw that parallel. Um, you know, their approach was was a lot different than than what we're really looking at. They kind of had more of a modular, you know, building this thing in a trailer that could go to where, uh, you know, they, they actually want to build that ski at the base of the mountain. And their manufacturing techniques based out of a little I don't know, I want to say maybe a hundred square foot or less trailer without proper power and everything. There's not quite up to, to snuff of what we'd like to see out of Folsom. So similar, but different, um, you know, from my perspective and we would stand behind this. Absolutely. This quick turnaround custom ski is going to be built the exact same way as any other ski that comes out of our facility. We're not cutting any corners in any way, shape, or form. So as uh, interesting as is what community skis or 3-3 skis at the time was doing, um, it was just a much different approach to manufacturing where we're still having that very, very professional approach and, and you know doing these things correctly and not uh, kind of cutting some 
some time out here and there. If that makes sense. I'm trying not to uh, beat up on those guys too much because what they were doing was really interesting. Mm -hmm. And for the record, what is your normal or typical turnaround time if somebody's ordering a custom pair of skis from you guys? Yeah. So in the, in the winter months, uh, we stand behind a two week turnaround time. Um, that's from once we've gathered all the information we need being all the performance attributes that we're going to plug into the skis right down to the graphic. We need that as well before we actually hit the go button, um, on the manufacturing side. And it's a two week turnaround time from that. So we are, we are exponentially speeding this up Yeah, <laughs> and that clearly is going to come with a price tag. Okay. Talk about the price tag. So, um, our general two week turnaround time is, is 1299 in the winter months. Um, we are going to offer this, this quick turnaround time really specifically through this Aspen store. I'm not going to say, I'm not going to allow it outside of, of the walls of Aspen there, um, for $1,500. So it's not a massive increase. Uh, but that said, we are going to cap it weekly. So it's going to be a pretty small, finite number of skis that we can actually do that, uh, do that on. Um, you know, we're, we're not just going to open the floodgates and say, all right, you know, two day turnaround time on custom skis for anybody. That's, uh, uh I think my guys would take me out back and beat the living crap out <laughs> of me. Mutiny going on <laughs> <laughs> well, here's to making things harder than they used to be, which, uh, we're really good at that. <laughs> So we, yeah, are, yeah. we always like it when we see other people doing that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, a little bit of uh, challenge and pain is always good. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently. And uh, one last thing. Will you guys be doing demos out of that shop? Yep, absolutely. We're going to be running a full demo fleet out of there, which um, is also going to kind of help pad the whole turnaround time thing because we'll also uh, involve that in the, you know, kind of a, a refund sort of thing. If you're paying for your demo and you buy a ski, uh, if you need to use that for a couple extra days until your skis show up, uh, that'll all be built into the price. But yes, we're going to have a full demo fleet based out of there. It's pretty exciting. And we are going to have a pretty robust retail and retail offering as well. That's going to be very much so tailored to uh, really Aspen Mountain and Aspen Highlands. Interesting. Well, we have a pretty specific project that uh, we're supposed to be talking about here, but just before we get to it, I'm going to give you the floor for a couple minutes. If there's anything in particular you want to share about the 1920 Folsom lineup. Yeah, the 1920 lineup is, is really exciting here at Folsom. We've got a pretty much a full new press suite. So I added a whole new um, ski press into our lineup. So now that we're running, we're running three ski presses. We used to be just running two, which that is also going to assist in uh, our quicker turnaround time for the Aspen scenario. Um, I've pretty much rebuilt the entire shop, which has been a really fun project over the summer. So uh, I've built a new specific wood press that was uh, really intended to speed up that process and make it a little bit more simplified. Uh, it has worked fantastically. I've rebuilt our entire print side. Um, and then again, added a whole new um, pressing suite, which is fantastic. It's Everything's been working great there. And so what that's going to allow is a whole bunch of new 
kind of tweaks and iterations of existing shapes and the addition of new shapes. So none of that is quite hammered out right now. You'd think it should be right now in, in mid-September, but um, you know we still have a lot of fun things in the pipeline that I've been working on that we should have uh, ready to go by early November here. So look for some fun new uh, kind of revamps on what we currently have and some fun new offerings that should be available in uh, early November here. One of the many things that I've really wanted to focus on as of late is we, we build a lot of long skis. You know, that's just kind of the nature of who we are, uh, being a bunch of, you know, over six foot tall men. It's, it's kind of what we design. And I've identified that we really need to fill out our, our shorter skis. So we're going to be adding a lot in that category, which I'm really excited about. Maybe Sam Shaheen can finally <laughs> have some length appropriate skis from Folsom to review. Yeah, he doesn't have to ski on like a 198 all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Love you, Sam. Um, all right, well, cool. That brings us then to this uh, Blister Pro 104. So let's see, this will be a little bit like Rashomon maybe, where we'll have different perspectives on how this came to be. But um, I don't know, Mike, we'll let you start, and then maybe Luke can uh, see how much he agrees with or has a different recollection of this project. But uh, Mike, what is the background of this project? So the Blister Pro 104 was something that uh, myself and my team had been discussing like, hey, you know, maybe we should talk to Jonathan and team over at Blister and see if they see a need for, for a really specific ski. Uh, but yeah, really the background was like, hey, you know, we love working with the guys over at Blister. You know, Jonathan, you and I always have such fun in-depth conversations about ski engineering and ski design that I thought this would just be a wildly fun process to go through. And I really figured we were going to come up with something special if we put some, some solid work effort behind this. And I feel strongly that we did. Hmm. Well, maybe I think our final question of the day is going to be whether this was wildly fun or a nightmare for you, but we'll, we'll save that for, that's my, that's literally my last question that I have down to ask you. But before we get to that, um, yeah, I think that seems like a right summary of how this kind of started. And then Luke, we basically were posed the question, like if, if we were going to build a ski, what seems most interesting? And that's where our conversation started taking place, right? Yeah, so we, I mean, everyday Crested Butte ski from early season groomers to midwinter, like small storms and a lot of skiing and steep and techy stuff um, was kind of what we had in mind. And while you, Jonathan, you and I have somewhat different preferences in skis, we like a lot of the same skis and kind of look out for certain characteristics. So basically wanted it to be pretty strong pretty damp but not not quite as burly as like something like the hammer which we made with Folsom which um, was quite stiff and quite heavy so something kind of more every day you can chill out on it a little bit more um, but basically we we're hoping to make a ski we could be quite happy on every single day at Crested Butte. Yeah that was that really kind of became the primary goal and you know I'll say that I was initially pretty reluctant to do this largely because one, I think 
I can't imagine anything worse than having to work with us on designing a ski. Like that just seems like a way to ruin your life. But the other thing is like, look, there are good skis out there, right? And, you know, some we really enjoy. And I, I was like, if we can't come up with something that really is a bit different than what we've already skied or reviewed, I don't want to put something out, you know? And so really what Luke and I started talking about pretty specifically was two of the skis that we have both really enjoyed at CB, the Fisher Ranger 102 and the Nordica Enforcer 104. And as we started thinking more about those skis, what we kind of came to was kind of an idea that we like that Fisher Ranger 102, but could see that it would be interesting if it was heavier. And then in terms of the Nordica Enforcer 104, we thought, what if we just dialed this up a bit? And as Luke already said, like not at all trying to turn this into some hammer construction, but just dialing up the stiffness and stability of a Nordica Enforcer 104. The more we talked about this, that's really what we homed in as being like, that would be interesting. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That was kind of the the first you know starting point of what we were given to work with or what I was given to work with. And um, unfortunately, I hadn't had my own experiences on those skis outside of just getting to sum them up in person via hand flexing, looking at, um, you know, the general flex profiles and camber profiles, all that good stuff. Um, however, uh, one or a couple of guys, my guys, um, in the shop had skied that and had some, some good feedback there. So, you know, that's always a slippery slope of, you know, just looking at another ski and really trying to dissect it and then take your own ingredient list and build upon that. But that really was a good, uh, for lack of better terms, kind of benchmark to start us with. And then it, that's, you know, where we started working into the first, second, third, fourth, fifth iteration of what we built here. Yeah. So let's actually talk about some of these prototypes. We started with this, we, we called it the blue ski and the white ski, V1 and V2. And you want to talk a little bit about those two skis or what you kind of started us out with? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, really based off of our initial conversations, based off of, you know, those two main ski targets that you laid out with that Fisher and that Nordica, um, the first step for me was to build a mold that was going to give me some ability to, to have some good alterations within it. So, you know, we targeted generally that 104 underfoot width. We generally targeted you know, around a 20 to 22 meter radius to kind of give us some good, you know, standardized things to be looking at. And then really we could start moving into some material stuff, some camber stuff, um, general flex stuff, things like that. So the first two builds were very similar. Um, and I always do this on purpose when I'm going through prototyping phases. I, I clearly um, isolate as many variables as I can so that I'm really just looking, you know, at one element of this. So, uh, build one and two were built in the exact same, um, camber mold. So everything was set up the exact same way there. 
they were the exact same uh, base shape. So 186, that was, I believe, 133 or 132, 104, 122 with around a 22 meter radius. Um, and we had a light amount of rocker in the tip, positive camber in her foot, and then a really low directional tail rocker. Uh, the big element that I switched across those two skis was one piece of composite. I put one extra piece of really heavyweight carbon right in front of the binding all the way through the tail of that ski. And holy cow, did it make that thing a brick. Um, (laughs) That was, that was, it was, it was wild. And like I said, you know, I really like to isolate just, you know, that one variable so that we have better control of it moving forward. And um, I got to say, after my 10, 11 years of ski engineering building, I was pretty thrown off by how much that added to the ski. Um, And it, it, it really made that thing a pretty unforgiving platform. Um, so, uh, you know, we, we all kind of had agreed, Hey, the blue ski is a little more fun. The other (laughs) ski kind of feels like it's, uh, you really got to get going up to about 70 miles per hour before it wants to do anything. I thought I, I genuinely thought based on our experience with the hammer and Jonathan wanting a stiffer and stiffer ski, I thought you were scared of it being too soft again. And you're like, I'm going to give him the stiffest ski I can make. Well, yeah, that was, that was certainly a little bit of my train of thought as well. I'd be, I'd be lying if that wasn't a little bit of the motivation there, but, um, it it certainly was just this one material element that honestly kind of threw me for a loop. Like, holy cow, this added like 20% more than I was expecting. Um, it actually added a lot of weight too, for being a carbon piece. So essentially what I was trying to do, this was really a, a very fiberglass dominant, uh, a layup in the composite realm, uh, I'd say about an 80, 20 split, but this one piece of carbon that I was using was really intended to load the ski in a very specific way. It was, I was really hoping to get, um, a little bit more forgiving, um, just general longitudinal flex out of that ski so that you could load that piece of carbon a little bit better. But at the end of the day, as we all felt, uh, that, what was it? A 20 ounce triax piece of, uh, Kiso carbon. It was not forgiving at all. So loading it just was damn near impossible. <laughs> oh boy. Maybe we all just need to start eating more cheeseburgers and put some weight <laughs> I mean, on. I can and, try. And that would have been the ski. <laughs> I'm going to have to eat a lot of cheeseburgers at five, eight to bend that ski. <laughs> Luke, do you have follow-up thoughts about that? or No, I, I mean, we've talked all about this crazy stiff one. I guess my initial impression was just like instantly got along with the softer one better. And um, we were skiing this at A Basin, and I think we wanted maybe a bit more rocker. In the tail. Uh, in the tail, yeah. Um, I know Sam Sam wanted a, kind of a more engaging shovel shape. Um, there's, a, there's a reason Sam, there's a reason Sam was not invited on this call. We, we, we tried to do our best to, you know, bring my opinion and Luke's and Sam's and kind of give it equal weight. But then we kind of basically just pushed Sam out. So this was like, whatever, Sam, like go do your Sam thing. And so this was a little bit more like, okay, if, if this is a ski that, Luke and I can both get along with well. It might be asking a little too much at this point for all three of us to agree on it. So we we just shoved Sam out of the way. So that's basically what happened here. <laughs> well, luckily he only weighs like 140 pounds, so it's pretty, <laughs> you know, easy push. 
<laughs> so, sorry, <laughs> Sam. <laughs> sorry, Sam. Um, yeah, so that, that, that I think was part of it. We, we did want, because again, I, we were not trying to make this just some very one-dimensional burly charger. Like, it, you know, I think a big thing in dealing with Crested Butte technical terrain is burly one-dimensional chargers are not the best way to go have fun around this mountain. If you're in a comp, maybe sure. Or if you're Eric Friesen. <laughs> or, if you're, or if you're Eric Friesen. But, you know, and so this wasn't supposed to be like some absolutely game on, you better be raging the whole time. And so we did actually want to make this a, a relatively accessible ski. It's still not the most accessible ski out there by any means, but neither is it just like, supposed to be some beast right and that was right, pretty important right. to us um for this go around yeah absolutely and I, I i certainly think you know between those first two iterations um again just being kind of a little bit caught off guard by that one material oscillation uh by how much it added to the ski it really reinforced exactly what we were all looking for mm-hmm. um i'd say something that really spoke to me the most between those two skis was just how much more fun in general that blue ski was to ski really anywhere (laughs) (laughs) like on just general hard pack like that other ski just it 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 really felt like it had almost no radius because you just weren't able to bend the ski um and that blue ski which was the exact same side cut the exact same uh camber profile you could just bend into the radius that much quicker and you just got so much more reaction out of it which uh, I, I felt was a really good, um, you know, kind of a learning piece for me as well as just a, a reinforced thing of like, oh, hey, yeah, exactly what Jonathan just said. There's we want the ski to be a little bit more accessible. We don't want this thing to be some insane beast that only you know crazy inhumane people are not inhumane. But, uh, <laughs> I like un, that. Un, un, I like un, that. Unhuman, unhuman is what I'm going for there. <laughs> unhuman people, you know, <laughs> the, the people that uh, can just bend a ski beyond repair. And I'm uh, uh, unfortunately not that guy anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so let's then talk about version three. Yeah. So version three was really frameworked off of, um, you know, again, we keep just kind of calling these skis their color. So, uh, the, the framework was based off of that blue ski, which was the more forgiving one out of that, uh, uh, first two trial. Uh, so really what I wanted to do there was, um, based off of your guys's feedback, you wanted to have something that was a little bit more fun to ski on just direct groomers. So what I did there was I redesigned the tip and tail shape, uh, to really add a whole nother millimeter of side cut into the ski uh, so we took it, I believe, again, I'm, I'm going off memory here. Um, I believe the initial was either a 132 or 133 in the tip. Uh, and then this one is a 134. And then in the tail, I believe it was a 121. And I think I bumped it out to a 122. So, you know, that may not sound like a lot, but at the end of the day, you know, ski design is a game of micromillimeters. Uh, so just that light addition truly made that ski just immediately have a, a faster initiation especially in direct hard pack. Uh, the other thing that we had been back and forth about quite a bit was um, really honing in on that rocker profile. So once we knew that that flex of that blue ski was was 
very close to what we wanted. Um, we still needed a tweak just a little bit in um, the suspension perspective. Uh, we wanted to get just a little bit more weight out in that far tip of the ski just to give it a little bit more uh, just suspension in that section of the ski. But overall, I think we were in pretty good agreement that the general flex of the ski was pretty spot on. So it was really just those last two variables of honing in on that rocker profile and um, adding just a little bit of extra side cut to that ski to give it a little bit more snap. So uh, it was a long explanation of what I did to that ski. And so I did add a millimeter in the tip, a millimeter in the tail, just to give it that quicker initiation, quicker finish. Um, and then uh, I actually redesigned an entirely new uh, tip rocker mold to give it the splay that I was really looking to achieve there. Um, and so that segued into to number three, which was a black ski, all black with uh, some white branding on it. That ski was, I believe, very, very close to what we were looking to get. Would you guys not agree? Yeah. Yeah. It's funny hearing you talk about when you talk about them, the changes you made for V3 sounds so minor, but especially the increase in side cut. I, that's one thing I noticed right away. Um, I really like skis that initiate turns kind of quickly without being hooky and the V3 ski definitely improved in that regard. Yeah. And I just say that was one of the things that we talked quite a bit about for a 104 millimeter wide ski, I was less uh, concerned than Luke was about this quicker, more instant turn initiation. I'm, I was far more focused on what this would be doing in like steep, weird technical terrain. Yeah. So I didn't really care. I tend to like straighter skis in that regard, but this is a point where Luke and I compromised a bit and Still didn't really ask Sam what his opinion was. For anyone who gets to ski this, you're welcome, because uh, I think it got better. <laughs> <laughs> well, and then I believe after all of us tried that third iteration, really the last variable that we wanted to play with moving, moving into number four here was just refining that rocker profile ever so slightly yeah. and just picking that rocker up just a little bit more. So, you know, we, we, we had the rocker in the first really the first three just a little bit lower than we should have. And so once I aggressed that rocker in just a little bit in the tip, a little bit in the tail, picked up that tip height, picked up that tail height um, to give you exact metrics. I actually just was pulling up my spreadsheet on my build results. So the first three builds all had a tip height right around 56 mil plus or minus uh, two millimeter. Yeah. We and measured then, them and that checks out. <laughs> yeah. And then the tail height kind of in between, uh, 20 mil to about 18 mil, um, <laughs> with, with not a ton of aggression. So these were pretty aggressive, you know, quote unquote, light rocker profiles. Um, whereas once we've kind of went through all those, had the conversations and really refined this last most, uh, uh, newest build the fourth iteration here i have now upped that tip height to a 73 mil so i picked it up substantially um it didn't aggress a whole lot more into the ski so um i only brought it you know the actual splay into the ski about a centimeter and a half further in the other three iterations before that 
And then I just brought that tail height up to uh, uh, 25 mil, so not a ton more there. But uh, it, it makes all the difference in the world just to get a little bit more rocker in there and release that ski to, uh, you know, really give it just that little bit more forgiving attribute as well as allow you to, you know, get a little bit more precision without having the ski fight back on you. So it was funny. I remember when we first started talking about rocker profiles for this ski, Mike, you had kind of said like, yeah, we'll probably give this a, a pretty similar rocker profile to the primary 110. And I remember kind of freaking out a little bit about that um, because I regard that primary 110 as being a pretty heavily rockered ski. And I was kind of like, dude, I think we need to tone it down. Like I, we really don't care about trying to make this 104 millimeter wide ski like really good in deep snow. This was much more intentional about a ski that would be fun in six inches of fresh or two weeks since it snowed and you might be skiing kind of scraped off variable stuff and the like. And so it's interesting because I think you then in version kind of one and two, even three, took me really at my word and and that then we were like yeah no this is like too little splay on these guys um so i don't know how much of that like i was just i was wrong to start with or i kind of threw you off but sounds like these tip and tail splay numbers that we've ended up at at least that tip height i doubt is very different from the primary 110 yeah, it's actually very similar to yeah. it. So, so, yeah, at the end of the day, this this was your fault, Jonathan. Way to go, bud. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, you know, we we had uh, an in-depth conversation very specifically to that one attribute that we were trying to isolate, and we were all in agreement. So um, it, it was just a good way for us to go through that and identify that, hey, look, a little bit more rocker really helps the ski out. Um, you know, we, we all kind of pushed that splay down in those first couple and had identified that we were getting a little bit more, you know, feedback, a little bit more catch on, you know, variable terrain and, and variable snow types that just wasn't favorable. So, um, you know, I'd say altogether, if I were let loose at the beginning of the, you know, version one, let's say, I think I would have made that tip height near that, what it is at, uh, version four now. <laughs> but we, uh, we, we had that conversation and, and, um, you know, part of being a custom ski manufacturer is trying out all this different stuff and, and testing it and putting some good, you know, metrics behind it to, to understand, um, you know, what's working and, and why it's working. So, uh, at the end of the day, yes, I would have added a little bit more rocker right at the beginning, but, I'm not mad. I'm, I'm, I'm glad that we, <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm glad that we found out. And, uh, you know, that, that said, those, those, those skis tell a story. They, they're very similar, but they're all different. Uh, you know, not just in the way the top sheet looks, but they are very different builds. And, um, you know, all those skis are still great usable skis. They're just not exactly what we were looking for. So to be determined what we're going to do with those. <laughs> we just got it. We got to send that that first one to Marcel nowadays he needs an all mountain ski after he's retired, he could probably bend it. <laughs> Marcel, sure. yeah. yeah. That's yeah. funny. Yeah. Yeah. Here you go, bud. I, oh, he would probably flex that. Say, oh, these are noodles. 
Um, so Mike, just to help provide a bit more context here, somebody listening to this, who's maybe read our reviews of that original blister primary that we'd done, and then also maybe read our review of that, the blister hammer that we did. How would you locate this ski with respect to say some flex pattern numbers or, or what? So in comparison to the, the hammer, let's say. Yeah. Um, so that's actually something that uh, being a custom ski manufacturer, I try not to open up that can of worms too deep because it can, it can really become a very long conversation every time. So I don't really like to quantify the flex as much as, you know, really you guys do, um, which I appreciate. But um, I would say in comparison to that hammer, this, uh, this blister pro 104 altogether across the entire ski is about 30% softer. Um, and that's, you know, that may sound a bit shocking, but let's reinforce what that hammer was. Yeah. That ski <laughs> was truly what it was. That was a very, very stiff ski. Yes. And I think, I, I think you really, uh, did a great job of summing up that, you know, that initial, primary that we had built previous to the hammer was a way more versatile ski. Uh, we were just really focusing on that one very specific thing for that hammer. And at the end of the day, what it turned into was, you know, essentially a flat camber, lightly reverse cambered ski that was just very, very unforgiving when it came to the flex. Uh, and that said with that camber profile, you can get away with that. You know, you can get away with just a wildly stiff ski because it's just, it's already released from the snow. You can just stand on it a little bit more relaxed. Uh, what do you lose? You lose a lot of versatility there for sure. You lose a little bit of precision. Um, absolutely. Um, and it, it just allows you to, to, you know, just blast through anything and everything, which was at the end of the day, a very, uh, obvious purpose of what we were trying to achieve on that ski. So, uh, this new Blister Pro 104 is honestly quite similar to Flex of that first primary 110 that we did for you. Hmm. Um, all the way from tip, all the way through tail. Uh, just a little bit softer in the far tail of the ski than that's that initial primary 110. Um, just because this ski is cambered. So we wanted to have just a little bit more forgiveness back there so that you're not dealing with kind of a double negative, if that makes sense, having something that's, you know, loaded and kind of can get you in the back seat and, and help push you back forward where something that's, you know, a, a SRC in our case or a real flat reverse cambered ski, um, you, you really need that extra, you know, kind of stiffness back there to push you forward. I'm surprised to hear you say that it's softer than the primary 110. Yeah, ever so slightly. I mean, that initial primary 110 was not a soft ski by any means. Um, and that, again, might have been some of <laughs> why that initial Blister Pro 104 came out wildly stiff is I was like, well, I don't think Jonathan's going to get too scared by a stiff ski. Let's, let's go for <laughs> it here. Um, and um, yeah, I mean, just tit for tat, it's the exact same core profile. So in our co oh. core profiling system, it's the exact same core profile as that initial primary 110, 
and you know that ski's just ever so slightly wider so inherently it's going to get a little bit stiffer huh that's really uh, interesting. so so just that general material loss in the side cut is uh you know one of the attributes that made it just a bit softer so this whole blister pro 104 shape is a new shape in Folsom's line um, would you say it's more similar to something like the primary or something like the cash 106 or a different ski? It's very, very similar to the, the primary. Um, so it's a traditional side cut ski. It's got no early taper across the way that I'm doing, um, the side cut on it, which is consistent with my entire, uh, primary line. So it really is just a primary and a 104 width. Um, you know, I, 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 really paid attention to those designs as we were building this ski. Um, something like that Cash 106 has a pretty notable early taper in the tip, which makes it an entirely different beast. So, um, you know, with this Blister Pro 104, I took a lot of the same uh, design attributes that I had programmed into my, my primary series, my Trigger 2 series, um, where I really shoot for a target on what I want that side cut radius to be. And then I kind of pull out just a little bit of that radius in the far tips and tails um, by seaming out of that Bezier, uh, you know, essentially it's a three point algorithm that creates um, the actual side cut splay. And I'll pull out the far tips and tails of that to create a little bit more of a multi-radial ski without actually infecting the rest of the side cut. Um, I know that's a, a crazy technical way of describing that but it might make sense to some people it's it's um you know a big miss for a lot of quote-unquote multi-radial skis is there's a bunch of different radiuses throughout the entire length of the ski uh which from my perspective and my time on a ski like that is i felt like the ski for lack of better terms has had add like it just doesn't (laughs) know what it wants to do it doesn't know which turn shape it wants to take so the way that I've chose to make a quote unquote multi-radial tip and tail uh, really is just affecting the far tips and tails, whereas the underfoot section that you're really bending into the ski is a consistent side cut and doesn't have any oscillation through it. Um, so yeah, that Blister Pro 104, it, it, it has all of those design features built into it. By the way, Mike, we need to talk about one final design feature built into the Blister Pro 104 that not even Luke knows about. But this ski was made with DEV or dev technology. Oh yeah, dev tech. Yeah, we threw that right in there, man. That's whew. It really gives some it of, that extra something. I mean, it's it's some of the most in-depth technology that you can really put into a ski. It is. Luke He's still... I know we went over that acronym before, but I can't remember. This is... this is. I literally did this for you, Luke. Well, and Sam, but... D-E-V? Decently. Oh, nice. <laughs> we got to get that, like, printed on the bases so I it's can take the, a bunch of pictures of it's it. It's on the top sheet. It's on the top it's sheet. On the top oh, that's sheet. amazing. Yeah. It says made with dev tech. we can finally watch our podcast. <laughs> yeah, made with dev tech, so we got some decently... <laughs> Decently edgy vibes, which really flows well into the ski parallel here. That's right. That's right. Well, Mike, as I said, my last question was going to be, and we are, the world is expecting an honest answer here. You said this was fun to work with us, but 
were we good to work with on this or were we kind of a nightmare to work with on this stuff? Because I would kind of assume we were a nightmare. You know, there were moments where I had some serious frustration. I would be lying if I didn't uh, admit to that. Specifically in regards to that rocker profile, Jonathan. (laughs) Um, But, you know, outside of that, this was a really fun experience for me. This is a great way for me as a ski engineer and a custom manufacturer to really be tested, to really be tested by people that are wildly technical, can speak about it in a really intelligible way and give me an opportunity to really prove myself and prove what the brand is capable of doing. Um, So at the end of the day, I was extremely stoked on the opportunity. It really was a fun thing. There was moments where I was like <laughs> kind of kicking dirt, like, God damn it, I shouldn't have listened to him here. I shouldn't have <laughs> listened to him there. I, I'm i the expert here. I should have just done what I thought the first time. But at the end of the day, um, it really was something that made me you know, look at things in a different way, think a little bit more critically than I generally have to, and really get tested on how uh, we're, we're approaching custom design here. All right. Well, um, thanks and sorry, <laughs> and, you know, all that. <laughs> hey, you shouldn't be apologizing between, uh, between what we have uh, drummed up here. We've created a pretty darn cool product. I think this is going to really work well for a lot of people. Cool. Well, it'll be fun to get some more folks on it and we're looking forward to spending more time on it ourselves. And, uh, this has been a, this has been a pretty interesting one and appreciate all the different prototypes and the back and forth and the like. Yeah. And I think we need to get a lawyer to go copyright dev tech so we can license that out to other brands. That's right. I think there's a lot of money potential there. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's going to be the next phantom. That's for sure. (laughs) Perfect. (laughs) It's going to be way harder to describe though. <laughs> <laughs> we've, you know, we've kind of floated a few images and talked about this a bit cryptically on the site, but uh glad we finally had this chance to have this conversation, talk about why we were doing this, what we were looking to accomplish and uh yeah, I think you did a good job of kind of laying out for for everybody uh what we were going for here. So, appreciate all that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I appreciate you guys having me. I always enjoy these conversations and uh, for better or for worse, I'd like to keep 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 working with you guys. <laughs> oh my, <laughs> glutton for punishment. Um, well, hey, thank you. Um, we'll let you go. We'll talk to you real soon. All right, that sounds good, guys. Thanks. Thanks, man. That's it for this edition of Gear Thirty. Thanks to Mike for the conversation, and you can head over to FolsomSkis.com to check out the entire Folsom lineup, and you can keep an eye out for those Blister Pro 104s. I believe that Mike and his crew are going to start pressing more of these in the next couple of weeks, so hit them up if you are interested. I also want to thank Luke Alley for producing this episode, and I want to thank you for listening. And once again, if you are enjoying these Gear 30 conversations, we would really appreciate it if you would spread the word to your gearhead friends and leave us a nice little rating in iTunes. Thanks, everybody. Please be safe out there, and we will talk to you again next week.